Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jerry and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 11.38 p.m. Sunday night. I feel like this is maybe the earliest I've ever recorded a podcast intro, but it's for a very good reason. In about 20 minutes, it's going to be my birthday. So I don't want to have to uh, do any work on my birthday, even if it's at midnight the night before or whatever <laughs> anyway um yeah geez uh after service today hannah and i were talking and realized today was the last service of 2021 and that's crazy uh it's crazy that this little church of misfits could make it through another year um you just want to give a huge shout out to you. Thank you so much for listening to us on the podcast. That's amazing. Uh, thank you to everyone who follows us on social. Um, huge special shout out to anybody who's donated. Um, that's the best way to kind of help us keep doing what we're doing. If you believe in what we're up to and a uh, special huge shout out to anybody who chooses to uh, attend in person regularly. Uh, that's uh, just really it, puts a lot of wind beneath our wings to see people on Sunday morning. Um, and it just feels better, you know, whenever there's a lot of people around and, uh, we love to see it. We love to see you. And I don't know, it's, it's 2021 is basically over. I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm happy about all the memories from the year. Um, uh, and just very thankful. Thank you so much for allowing us to, to do this. Uh, I don't, there's really no announcements, man. Uh, we have church this coming Sunday. I guess that's the only announcement. Um, it's, I think it's January 2nd is the, the next Sunday. So, uh, get your partying out on New Year's Eve. You got a whole day to recover. And then we will see you on January 2nd and ready to attack another year of doing church in a different way. Um, so thank you so much. Um, let's jump right into the service. Uh, Hannah is going to talk about Merry Christmas. She's going to talk about being scared. And uh, she's going to talk about whatever else Hannah wants to talk about, because that's what she does. I feel like we get a little too sanitized at Christmas. We like, like, the, you know, the world's pretty full of chaos. Like, I just watch the news. But it's always been full of chaos. But now we get it like in our faces 24-7 on the news all the time. Or, you know, if you're on Instagram um, or Facebook, especially Facebook, although that chaos may or may not be accurate. Um, and so like just constant, just constant in your face. And then December hits and we're like, oh, now it's time for tiny baby Jesus. Perfect, clean, delightful, tiny baby Jesus in a manger with this beautiful, clean aesthetic. Um, we have like a pleasant smelling stable, as if that's a thing. We have a clean newborn baby, as if that's a thing. We have picture perfect stars and like wise men and peppermint lattes, of course. And it just sometimes I feel like it doesn't make sense. Like, it's obviously the day after Christmas, so maybe you feel like Christmas is over now. Um, now we get to New Year's. Cool, but then after that, just depression. Uh, there's nothing good now. There's no hope. Maybe, maybe Valentine's Day. Maybe, although people have very strong opinions about that. So, like, and from now until Easter, just pfft, nothing exciting's happening. Just terrible, <laughs> terrible. And I think what actually is hopeful about Christmas is it's 
the opposite of a polished and well-branded story. It's not far removed from our reality. It's messy and kind of scandalous if you think about it. And everything about God coming to earth through the process of being born as a human, I think it confronts all of our ideas about power. Um, this sanitized, delightful, clean, crisp, mmm, brand that we've made Christmas into, this commercial delightfulness, um, I feel like it just gives us subliminally the message that we can only really get that perfect Christmas feeling, that God with us, and we know it's good, like when everything's perfect, when the turkey is perfect, and the meal is perfect, and the family is perfect, and the in-laws don't fight, and nobody says anything offensive, and the presents are perfect, and you didn't forget to move the elf on the shelf, and like everything has to be so perfect, and then you'll finally get the Christmas tingle, and you'll be like, yeah. But actually, if you read the story of Jesus' birth, it's really messy. And it's a story about how God brings salvation into the world through the mess. Like, it is impossible to have a baby quietly. Ask me how I know that. And let me tell you, it was much more loud before I got the epidural. Maybe I should not admit this as a pastor, but I collectively, in my whole life, have never said so many F-words as I did in that span of time before the epidural kicked in. Like, and I kept saying, I'd just be like saying it over and over and then I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, and she's like, it's okay, we've heard worse. I'm like, how? What, what's worse? <laughs> like, what are people in here screaming? <laughs> it's like a breaking experience, but like it's a healing breaking, like cracking your back. It's kind of hard not to cry when a baby comes out, also because, ow. But other than that, like you've been waiting for this for a really long time. And you can find, it's finally there. And we get, I think people get emotional when they have kids for a lot of reasons, hormones and love and et cetera. But also we're witnessing something true. Like not true as in a list of things we believe in and we just use to draw lines around ourselves. And like, this is our circle and this is your circle. And it's a, actually something true that unites us. Like a moment of solidarity. Like, on New Year's, when you're just with a group of strangers watching fireworks and everyone just feels joy and happiness and excitement, like that's, you're witnessing something true. Or when someone like tastes something and they're like, oh, this is so, you have to try this, right? Or when a tiny newborn baby gets carted into the room and everyone's like, mm. you can't help but look because you're witnessing a little bit of magic. And like, it's so easy to think about Jesus not needing anyone. Right? Just God out on a mission to save the world. <laughs> he is going to clear temples. He is going to turn the powers of the world upside down. <sighs> Take on the religiously corrupt. Saviors don't need anything, right? Right? But Jesus called his disciples friends. He stayed at friends' houses. He had a mom and brothers and sisters, he was fully human. Have you, being a human, ever lived your life separate from a relationship? Here's a couple questions to determine whether or not you have lived your life fully as a human. Did you not ever need someone to change your diapers as a baby? Did you not need someone to keep you from accidental certain death one billion times a day? <laughs> Did you not need to hold hands when you were learning how to walk? Did you not say, look, mama, or whoever your caregiver was, when finishing your 17th Crayola masterpiece of the day that looked like you threw up crayon on a paper? Did you not have secrets to confide to a best friend 
Did you not laugh until it hurt at the most inappropriate time? Did you not like let someone buy you dinner when you were super low on funds? Or experience what it feels like to be healed when someone hugs you and you're just having a really bad day? Just like every human ever, Jesus saw a friend or his mom or his little sister for love and compassion and nourishment and belly laughs and hugs and inside jokes. Do you ever think about Jesus having inside jokes? I want to know what they would be. Maybe high fives? Like That's the way being a human works. Jesus had to be fed as a baby. God had to be fed. Spoon fed, probably. He had to live in the house his parents provided. He couldn't go anywhere. He wouldn't be like, I'm God and this place sucks. <laughs> he was like, this is my house. <laughs> he had to wear clothing made by other people. He had to learn to read. He had to learn a trade. He got to experience joy and friends and Jesus participated in the same dynamics we all participate in, where no one is an island and we all need each other to be fully human. And I think it's like very easy to think about us and how we need Jesus. It's a little bit scandalous to think about that Jesus might need us. I think the phrase, be not afraid, could be a legitimate substitute for Merry Christmas. Those words kicked off uh, the first message spoken from God after 400 years of divine silence. They were spoken to Zechariah when he was like, you're going to have a kid. His name's going to be John the Baptist. I don't know if that's exactly how it went down. <laughs> but he said, be not afraid. And then it was spoken to Mary, like, you're going to have a baby. Be not afraid. And then it was spoken to Joseph, who was like, I'm going to divorce this girl. <sighs> and the angel said, don't do that be not afraid. And then it was spoken to the shepherds in a field. Nowadays, it's very cool to be a shepherd. If you grew up like I did, we had like adorable, precious moments, shepherds. You know the ones, they're like, they're like really round. All round things are cute, right? The really adorable, precious moments, shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, clearly. You know, like being a shepherd is pretty cool. Uh, in Jesus' day, not cool. If you were the shepherd, you were hired work. Like, you did not own the flock. You were not making the money from the flock. And also, everyone hated you. Because shepherds generally were thought to be dishonest and thieving and terrible. Because <laughs> they had to take their flocks in the desert where there isn't a lot of food or water. So they were gone from their homes for months at a time, had to move around constantly, and they had a reputation for pilfering other people's goods. And also dealing in stolen sheep to grow their flocks, which I find hilarious. It's a black sheep market. And yet, like, shepherding was not the dream of Jewish children. Like, something went wrong in your life if you were a shepherd. You either failed at a lot of things, or you were just really unfortunate to end up as a shepherd. And then God showed up to shepherds. Why? Because God always uses people we ignore to reveal God's ways. Sometimes revelation comes through normal ways like poets or artists or singers or gurus or speakers, people who've done like a lot of inner secret work and then they get to share that with the world. And I think that's good, right? It's right, it's good. They have a gift to us and we, they deserve the attention they get. But there's a deeper revelation that Jesus speaks to inside of us, all the ignored and the hidden aspects of life. Because God is bad at PR. But God does not have any interest, I don't think, in being on TV or having a big Instagram following, 
or having a God line of cookware at Target. Like, God is not interested in that stuff. It's too obvious. That's what we do with stuff. It's not bad, right? When we hear something life-changing, our first instinct is to want to share it with other people because it has affected us so deeply. But we do also figure, try to figure out if we can monetize it. Um, we're always trying to make a profit off of anything true, especially God. <laughs> and God actually doesn't need to be monetized. God showed up to shepherds in a field with divine revelation from heaven. And it was a shock. But I wonder, if we, do we ever consider like why it was a shock? Most of our assumptions about this experience involve like a crazy Christmas light show of angels and music. What's that band that makes like really intense instrumental Christmas music? Trans-Siberian Orchestra, yes. I, we, we have this image of like, that's what's happening to the shepherds. <laughs> Blinding light, human forms just glowing and they have wings and they're booming. And obviously that's why they have to say, be not afraid, right? What gave us that idea? Is it scripture? No. Okay, it simply says this. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Does that imply a laser show to you? Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Something bright. I mean, it does seem to imply that there was some light, possibly because, and hear me out, there were shepherds in a field in the desert in the dark. So a messenger would have needed some kind of light so they could see him. And in the other cases, maybe it was a little more simple and a little less glittery than we believe. Just a glorious stranger delivering an unbelievable message in a familiar setting. I think the invitation to the glory of the Lord is like less a light show and more of a message, more what's being said. The glory of the Lord as a phrase, it has like many etymological roots, but they all point to this idea of like heaviness and weightiness and respect and honor like, just imagine you're swimming in the ocean, and all of a sudden, like a 50-foot humpback whale is next to you. After you faint and half drown, you're just going to be overwhelmed, right, by the sheer enormity of the thing that is next to you. How, if it just went sideways a little bit, it would take you out. Fragility in the presence of, like, immensity usually involves respect and awe, right? So the writers of the Bible describe the same type of experience, but without you know, the metaphor of an ocean animal. <laughs> There's this weightiness in the interaction that demands some kind of respect. And I wonder if we consider this, maybe the weightiness is just simply the amazing and terrifying realization that God is actually real. That that hidden, much larger spiritual realm that we kind of hope exists and we believe in most of the time. You know, sometimes we question and it's hard if you don't have experience with it. It really is there. And the way we've been thinking about things doesn't make sense anymore. And you're left just in that space of like, oh, I don't know. It has to start, right? The message has to start with be not afraid because it shatters all the security that we find in limited conclusions. Maybe conclusions like these. Existence is just a curse to endure. Our bodies are just flawed meat suits full of disappointment. 
And we laugh, right? But like, how many of us actually feel that way underneath? Like, this body is such a disappointment. <laughs> we may not say that, but we certainly act like it. We're so adversarial. How about this one? Divine encounters only happen if you're worthy enough. Or maybe only in sacred places. God can't wait to be wrathful toward all the crap we do on earth. We deserve to be left out because of our glaring inability to be faithful or stick with anything. It's hard to say these things, but we, much of our lives are spent operating as if these things are true. But the messengers who came to the shepherds and the messengers that are still coming to us today I feel like they'd be astonished that we've come to these limited conclusions because their message is a proclamation of good news. Is there any good news in what I just said? No. What if the good news is that existence, even though sometimes absurd, is not a curse to endure, but is a gift that God wants you to receive and participate in? That it is good to be in your body Yes, this body, the one you find yourself in. Because all kinds of miracles are happening through it. That divine encounters don't happen, they happen regardless of who's worthy and who's not, and what sacred space you're in and what sacred space you're not in. They can happen in your kitchen counter or at your job or in the headspace of making a hard decision. That God doesn't enter the world as a judgmental titan just waiting to lightning bolt you but as a participant whose work of healing comes through participation. Love is intentionally inclusive in its restoration of all things. And actually love is kind of, I feel like the divine love, it just has this complete lack of anxiety. Like we're always worried about how we're gonna accomplish the things that we're supposed to do and you know, the thing, we just get, God has, is not anxious that love will not accomplish what it needs to do. I have not had an angelic vision like the shepherds had. Have any of you? I have seen a baby be born. I have seen the sunrise. Mostly sunset. I don't like to get up early. <laughs> Nova has ruined my life. Now I'm up at 5.45 every day. Maybe the glory of the Lord shining around us, maybe it's already happening. Every time we consider what it means that God became human. Y'all can come back up. Maybe the place we experience Emmanuel, God with us, is in the very fears we have about our own lives, in our own world, in our own future. The fears that keep us from believing anything can be different. The fears that make the silence of God in our lives feel like centuries have passed. The fears that we're all here on our own and that none of this really matters. What does next year hold for you? I don't know. But be not afraid. 
What does your path of change look like? I don't know. But be not afraid. Will you get to a place where you see everything through new eyes? I hope so. Don't be afraid. Will your desire to say yes to the life you already find in yourself grow? Will life still be complicated and messy and beautiful and hopeful and good all at once? Yep. Be not afraid. Maybe our fear can be the starting place of divine connection. Because if a messenger from heaven were to actually show up with an announcement of like good tiding of great joy, a message that would change everything, I think the proclamation might begin with be not afraid. Or maybe, you know, as we say it, Merry Christmas. I'm gonna go on a tangent for a second. I really want you to consider, it's the end of the year, it's the end of 2021. What a great, not as bad as 2020, but that's a pretty low bar. Are you tired? I think actually in some ways there's been more pressure this December because we didn't have one last year. So you get to have more Christmas, more expectation, more togetherness. And there's also an expectation that we should have less, but not of the things that are difficult. We should have less anxiety. We should have less drama. We should just be happy for the moment we're in. If you're like a millennial, you already lived through a couple like world ending events. And we're just like, oh yeah, it's fine. It's just our collective trauma. No big deal, we're totally fine. Everything's fine. Are we fine? Or are we afraid? I feel like one of the things I struggled with last year in 2020, when like the world was like kind of open, like just starting to open up. And sometimes I'd be fine. Like for a week, I'd be like, oh yeah, we're gonna see people, it's gonna be great. And I'd be with people and it'd be wonderful. And then the next time I was with a group of people, I'd be really nervous. Like, what if this is the time? What if this interaction, like, causes... And it ebbs and it flows, and we don't have any stability the way we used to. The things that we used to believe about faith, certainly if you find yourself here, maybe aren't what you used to believe. The things we feel about family, maybe they're not the way you'd like them to be. The things you feel about yourself as a person, it's hard to be certain about them. Sometimes you know what's going on. You're like, yeah. One of the things that's most difficult when we break away from systems of faith and theology that have told us what and how to believe our entire lives is the uncertainty that comes from not knowing. It's the not knowing itself that you're doing it right, that causes us anxiety. You're like, well, I feel like I'm moving in a good direction. I feel like, like God is really, I'm connecting with God in ways that I have never connected with God in my life before. 
I am becoming a more open person, a more honest person. I'm having actual meaningful conversations with people and with God about faith and about my emotions and about the things in my life that are important. I'm having, I'm moving forward and I'm healing. And at the same time, I am terrified of this because there's no one telling me if I'm doing this right. There's no list of things I can say I believe in that mean I get an A plus on God's report card or at least on the report card of the people that gave us those beliefs to begin with. How do we know we're doing it right? Just tell me I'm doing it right. Give me the syllabus, I'll get an A. And I think what God wants to say today is yeah, be not afraid. When the path is unknown before you, don't be afraid. When the theology you've been handed feels harmful, don't be afraid more beautiful beliefs will come. It's easier when God's a tyrant. It's harder to remember that love is something you can never be taken away from. Under any circumstances, no matter what you have done or not done, no matter what you say you believe or you don't believe, no matter what your family looks like, Love is something you can never be taken away from. It doesn't matter if your life is a hot mess. So was Jesus' life. And that's what God with us means. God actually with us. In all the parts we don't want God there for. We're like, no, no, not that part. I would like to present to you my Sunday self. And God's like, actually, I was there with your throwing up in the middle of the night Friday self. That's where your divine encounter happened, actually. <laughs> I was there when you yelled at your partner. That was a divine encounter, too. God's always there. You can never be taken away. Will your life still be messy and complicated and beautiful and hopeful and terrible? And yeah. Be not afraid. Or as we say today, Merry Christmas.